0: Uh, Heavenly Father, please give us ears to hear this, your word, uh, today. Uh, Please deepen our conviction of the truth of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and uh, may we experience the power of his resurrection in our lives. Uh, His grace and his love, I pray. Amen. Uh, So on Friday, I said that what I wanted to do this Easter was explain not just what happened at Easter, not just the events in and of themselves, uh, but what those events mean, right? Because I reckon even though, uh, by and large, our culture's kind of moved on from Easter, post-Christian, people still kind of know the events that happened. They know it's got something to do with Jesus dying on the cross, uh, an empty tomb. Uh, Perhaps they've got an idea that Jesus, uh, at least the claim is that he was raised from the dead. Uh, But we don't really understand, by and large, uh, what those events mean, what's the significance of those events. What difference do they make to our lives? So on Friday, we looked at the difference Jesus' uh, death makes. And today, being Easter Sunday, uh, we're looking at the difference Jesus' resurrection makes. Uh, and to do that, uh, you would have noticed from the uh, reading that Pete read, we're zooming in on this story about Mary Magdalene uh, in John chapter 20. Uh, and if you look in your Connect card, I've got the three uh, kind of main points in my sermon are in there. Uh, you'll see that we're going to see three things as we, as we look at Mary's story. Uh, We're going to see that Mary's faith is grounded in truth, uh, that because of that, she delights in grace, and that she lives in love. Three things. Uh, So first, uh, let's see how Mary's faith is grounded in truth. Have a look there in verses 1 and 2. Uh, we see that on that first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene goes along to Jesus' tomb. Uh, we know from the other Gospels that she's doing that because she wants to honour Jesus' body. Right? She's bringing some spices. Uh, her plan is to dress Jesus' body, to anoint Jesus' body. Uh, but when she arrives at the tomb, she discovers that the stone's been rolled away and Jesus' body is missing. And so she runs back to the other disciples to let them know what's happening. Notice that the other disciples... Are not at the tomb with Mary. And that's interesting because in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, uh, Jesus was teaching his disciples and he said uh, that the, uh, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, uh, but after three days he will rise again. Likewise, Mark 9, verse 31, Jesus says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. The next chapter, Mark 10, verses 33 and 34, Jesus tells his his disciples, "Uh, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. But three days later, he will rise. You get the idea, Jesus repeatedly told his disciples that he would be raised from the dead. He talked about it so much that the Romans had a soldier guarding his tomb. But despite all those predictions on this Sunday morning, when, when on the third day when all the action is supposed to be taking place, none of Jesus' disciples are at the tomb. Not one. Well, Mary's there. But right, only Mary's at the tomb, even she doesn't think Jesus has been raised from the dead. Right, notice she, she runs to tell the disciples that someone's stolen his body, someone's taken his body. You see, some people seem to think that Jesus' disciples uh, were just so gullible, so they're kind of primitive, uh, they're a bit superstitious. Of course, they were bound to believe in the, in the resurrection. We, on the other hand, we're much more educated and rational and scientific. We we couldn't possibly believe in something like the resurrection. That's what some people think. But what we actually see in this passage is that even though, uh, even after all Jesus' predictions, none of his disciples thought he would be raised from the dead. All of them thought he would stay dead. Because believe it or not, even in the first century, dead people uh, usually did stay dead. That's typically what happened. That was their experience. Go to the funeral, the body's in the tomb, that's where it stays, right? You go put some flowers every now and then, but there's not resurrections happening all over the place. Even in the first century, that's how it rolled. And so Jesus' disciples were just like lots of us. They were completely closed to the possibility of a resurrection. A closed because of their worldview, because of the, the worldviews around them. So for the Greeks, for example, the uh, the Greeks in the first century uh, believed that the physical body uh, was bad. It was unclean. It was like a prison. The whole point of salvation for the Greeks was to get out of the body. So they had no concept. Oh, why would you want the body to be raised? No concept, uh, no openness to a physical resurrection. Of course, some of the Jews did believe that at the very end of history, there'd be a general resurrection. Right, Everyone is going to be raised before being judged by God. But no Jew even contemplated the idea that there would be a single resurrection right in the middle of history. It wasn't even on their radar. Admittedly, for different reasons. right. But Jesus' disciples were every bit as skeptical about the resurrection as you or me. So what changed their mind? What evidence convinced them that a resurrection wasn't only possible, but actual, true? Well, the evidence they received was a personal encounter with Jesus. We see some of that in this passage, but the Bible tells us that over a period of 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples in his resurrection body. He met with them, he walked with them, he talked with them, he ate with them, he asked them to put their hands in his scars right, as evidence. Evidence that he really had been raised from the dead, right? That was the evidence that that opened these closed disciples' minds that brought them from complete scepticism to belief. And some of you might say, well, that's all very well for them, isn't it? But I didn't get to experience that. And how am I supposed to believe that their testimony is true? How can I know they didn't just make it up? Right, and I think you can know that, among other reasons, because of Mary. Uh, quite obviously, Mary is a woman. We all know that. Uh, but we perhaps don't think about the significance of that. Right, It's important because in this culture, women had a very, very low social status. Right? Their, their testimony wasn't even, uh, wouldn't have even been listened to in a court of law at all. Right, and of course, Mary wasn't just any woman. You can look up Luke chapter 8 later on. Luke chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. Luke uh, is describing a uh, reporting on Mary's life before she became a Christian. Uh, and he says there in Luke 8 verse 2 uh, that she was possessed by seven demons. But in the Bible the word seven symbolizes fullness, completeness. right? So Luke's reporting that before Mary became a Christian, uh, it was like her life was completely dominated by some kind of evil power. Completely dominated. Now, we don't know exactly what that looked like. But what we do know is that every, Luke, Luke's reporting it because everyone would have known that there was something not quite right about Mary. Her life was in a mess. Something dark, something kind of sinister had, had this grip on her life. It was messing up her life. So here's the question, as you, read Luke, as you read John chapter 20, if you were uh, sitting down to, to make up the story about Jesus being raised from the dead, would you have chosen Mary to be the first eyewitness? I don't think so. But the only reason you would have chosen Mary was if her testimony was actually true. For for reasons like this and others, it's really hard to argue that the accounts of Jesus' resurrection are just made up. You might have other, other objections, but don't come out with me with this stuff that it's a myth or that it's just been fabricated. No historian thinks that. And that's important because the reality that Christianity will, uh, uh, the the reality, this reality that uh, Jesus actually was raised from the dead, uh, is critical because Christianity will only transform you. It will really only make a difference in your life uh, if the resurrection actually happened. That's a, that's a bit different to how our culture thinks. Our, our culture tends to say that your religion or spirituality is true for you if it works for you. I'm sure you've experienced this. You're talking with someone and you say that you're a Christian, and they kind of get that little kind of like quaint look on their face. Oh, isn't that nice for you? It's nice that you found something that works for you. You know, for me, it's more kind of like new agey stuff. I like my crystals and candles and stuff. That's what works for me. But it's nice that you found what works for you, right? That's how our culture thinks. Right? It's true for you if it works for you. Right? But Christianity says the opposite. It says Christianity will only work for you if it's true. Well, you'll only find Christianity to be fulfilling or transformative or life-giving or hope-giving if it's actually true. Right? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Right, If you want to look it up, 1 Corinthians 15 uh, from verse 12. I'm going to read a few selected verses here. 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 12, uh, Paul says... Uh, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. But I had to be convinced of the resurrection before I started preaching. right? Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith, Paul says. Verse 17, flicking down a bit, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's saying for for the Christian faith to work, for the Christian faith to to really transform and give hope and life, it has to be grounded in truth. It has to be. And the testimony of this passage centered on, on Mary of all people. This testimony tells us that the resurrection is grounded in truth. It actually did happen in history. And because Christ really was raised from the dead, he lives, he reigns, Mary can delight in his grace. She experiences his grace in this passage. Let's read again from verse 11, starting in verse 11. John 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. I was reading a really old writer on this passage, kind of from the 1850s during the week, and he said this about these verses. He said, Like other sorrowful disciples since, in her grief, Mary thinks she is utterly alone, not realising that she actually has angels in front of her and her Lord behind her. You get the picture. Here's Mary. She's standing right in the middle of the greatest event in the history of the world. Right in the middle. And she thinks it's an absolute disaster. She can't see how anything good could possibly come out of this mess. What on earth is God doing, she's thinking. She's so devastated. She even thinks Jesus might be her enemy. She's blinded by her grief. She's weeping. She's sobbing. She thinks Jesus is a gardener who's stolen Jesus' body. Perhaps you can relate that this feeling that everything's just falling apart, everything's out of control, the feeling that perhaps even God is an enemy of yours. He's kind of Surely God's working against me. To some extent, I guess I experienced this myself about 15 years ago. It was one of the hardest times in my life. I was really very depressed. Uh, I was experiencing lots of anxiety, uh, bordering on panic attacks at times. I had a loving family. Uh, Mum and Dad are here today. Uh, Lots of friends. I was in a good church, good good Christian community. Uh, But lots of the time I felt really, really alone. Very alone. It was really confusing. I had no idea what God was doing. Why was he letting me go through this? If I'm honest, at times I thought, god God's kind of working against me. He must be against me. But what we see here is that if you're a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're sitting in a place like that where everything seems to be going wrong, everything's out of control, you feel completely alone, the reality is that God is close to you. He's close to you. His angels are before you. He's watching over you. Your Lord is watching over you. Your good shepherd who's by your side. And notice how gracious Jesus is to Mary in her grief. He doesn't judge or condemn her, but he gently kind of brings her out, helps her to see the truth, helps her to see who he is. Why are you crying, Jesus says? gentle question well, who are you looking for mary jesus says right notice that notice that, that it's only when jesus says mary's name and probably as he, as he said it lots of times before right it's only then that he kind of breaks through mary's grief and she realizes who he is and it's really important that jesus broke through because he chosen mary to be his very first messenger of the gospel and he had chosen Mary to be the very first person who would declare that, that he had been raised from the dead. And that was no accident, was it? But Jesus chose Mary deliberately. He chose a woman, not a man. He chose a nobody off the streets, not some pillar of society. He chose someone familiar with weakness and suffering, not someone of great influence and strength. He chose someone who was filled with doubt and grief, confusion, not someone full of faith and hope. But Jesus chose Mary for, for this pivotal role because he wanted to make it crystal clear that the salvation he offers us is completely by grace. That's what his kingdom's about. A gracious welcome. It's got nothing to do with who you are, your gender, your race, your ethnicity, your your socioeconomic background. Nothing to do with that. It's got nothing to do uh, with what you've done. Your goodness, your morality, your degree of religiousness. But we know it's got nothing to do with those things because Jesus chose Mary. He chose Mary of all people. Jesus knows that, that, that Mary... She literally embodies his message. From the wrong side of the tracks, possessed by demons, a broken mess. Jesus knows Mary's a walking testimony to the fact that we are saved completely by grace. And Jesus offers that grace to us today. He offers it to you today. But you'll only accept it if you understand that, spiritually speaking, you're just like Mary. And it's only those people who will accept Jesus' grace, who will delight in Jesus' grace. But because uh, it's only when you know that you're just like Mary that you'll know that you haven't got your life together, that you're weak, you're broken, you're sinful, that you actually need a saviour. You need Jesus to show you grace and mercy and compassion because you haven't got your act together. just like mary and mary would have loved to sing amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me it's really not until you understand that spiritually speaking you're you're a wretch you're a mess it's only then that you'll delight in jesus grace Otherwise, you'll just think that I'm kind of 95% a good person and praise Jesus that he gets me over the line. You're just not that good. We're all just like Mary, 100% saved by Jesus' grace. And if you've got that kind of faith in Christ where you're delighting in his grace, uh, you'll truly live in love. Uh, look, in verse 17, Jesus uh, says to Mary, uh, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Do not hold on to me. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I first read that verse, I thought, man, like Jesus is a bit harsh, Right? Like Mary's weeping, she's grieving, she's sobbing, and Jesus is like, don't hold on to me. You know, don't, don't touch me. Like, uh, it does seem a bit harsh. Why would Jesus say that? Uh, but the word uh, kind of translated there is don't hold on to me uh, uh, really has the sense of don't cling to me. Uh, don't, don't grip me so tightly, Jesus is saying. Uh, we really do have to put ourselves in Mary's shoes, remembering that, that knowing Jesus, remember where she's come from, right? Knowing Jesus has completely transformed Mary's life. And then, just as she was getting to know Jesus, they were really starting to get somewhere, Jesus was taken from her. She stood by as her Lord, uh, Rabbani, right, her Lord, her teacher, uh, was humiliated and whipped and crucified. It was devastating for Mary. Like she thought she would never see Jesus again. And now she is seeing Jesus again. She's just clinging to him. Doesn't want to let him go. Terrified of losing him, and she's desperate to, to experience his love and, and his presence. Uh, to, to, she wants to be close to Jesus. And so Jesus says, "Mary, you've got you've got the wrong idea. You've got to let me ascend to my Father." That's a bit confusing, right? But if you've been reading John's Gospel, you can read back in John 14 to 16, and we see that when Jesus ascends to his Father, he's going to pour out his Spirit into the hearts of his people. So they can experience his presence, his love, really more intimately and more personally than they could have ever imagined. Christ is literally going to be dwelling in them by the power of the Spirit. So Jesus says to Mary, don't hold on to me because I know you want to experience my love and my presence and my closeness but if that's what you want, you've got to let me ascend to my Father. See, I think we think that it would have been so much better to have actually been with Jesus. To have been able to walk with Jesus and talk with Him and hold Him and sit down and eat with Him and touch Him. Right? We think that, that would have been heaps better But here Jesus says uh, that it's so much better if he ascends to his Father. It's better if he pours out his Spirit into our hearts that we can experience an intimacy with him uh, that is much greater than anything Mary experienced at that tomb. It's better. Much better. By the power of God's spirit, our hearts are filled with this deep sense, this assurance that that Jesus loves us. We are his. He is ours. We love him. The great uh, British preacher Charles Spurgeon uh, once said, uh, Sometimes in prayer I've known what it's like to be too happy to live I've had to ask God to stay his hand because uh, the love and glory and joy coming into my heart were coming in waves too great for me to cope with. Now, maybe that experience is foreign to you. I don't know. But here Jesus is saying that uh, his resurrection and ascension, his pouring out of his spirit, make that kind of experience of his love possible. That's what he's told. He's been compassionate to Mary. Mary. Don't don't settle for just holding me here. You've got to be filled with my spirit. So Mary can truly live in love towards Jesus. And what we see here is if you really love Jesus like Mary does, you want others to love Jesus. In in verse 17, Jesus says to Mary, Go to my brothers and tell them what you have seen. Wait paraphrasing verse 18 that's what she does she goes back to the disciples and says i have seen the lord one of the main ways we can show our love for jesus we can show our love for others is by telling them what we have seen by the power of god's spirit our eyes have been opened to see that jesus really has been raised from the dead if you know that jesus has been raised from the dead that that he has the power to, to offer us grace and forgiveness and hope and life. Right? If you know that, surely the only loving thing to do is to share that with others. Uh, Penn and Teller, the atheist magicians, have this great clip on, on YouTube. You should look it up. Uh, where Penn, uh, Is it Penn? Penn's the one who talks, right? Teller's the one who doesn't. Penn, Teller doesn't say anything, although they're there together. Anyway, Penn says... Uh, that he has no respect for someone who believes that, that uh, heaven and hell are real and that Jesus saves, and yet they won't tell anyone about that. <laughs> Look at that up. He's an atheist. He's like, if you really believe all these things, it just makes sense. If you're a loving, compassionate human being, it just makes sense. To share that with others. Not in a proud or judgmental way, as if we're somehow better than them. Right, we've already seen. We're just like Mary. Sinful, broken, flawed people. We've got nothing to be proud of. We share our faith with gentleness and humility and respect, but we share it. And we can share it with confidence. Right, the confidence that comes from knowing we're loved by the one who really matters, the only one who's ever conquered death. Right, you're loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you can talk to anyone with confidence. This is unique to Christianity. This idea that people are desperate to be humble and desperate to be secure in who they are. Christianity offers that. You can be truly humble because you understand just how sinful you are. And you can be deeply confident because you understand just how loved you are. It's wonderful. You're free to really love other people. Uh, Not just in this way, but in particular by telling them about Christ. Uh, So we've zoomed in on Mary's story. I think it's a a wonderful encounter. We've seen uh, that in uh, her faith, uh, that her faith is grounded in truth, it delights in grace, and that uh, it lives in love. Uh, That's at least just part of the difference that Jesus' resurrection makes. If you are persuaded uh, that Jesus' uh, resurrection really is grounded in truth, it actually happened in history, it will revolutionise your life. There's no sitting on the fence on this. Like Mary, you will truly delight in Jesus' amazing grace. And to think that he would show that kind of grace to someone like you. And you'll be liberated by that grace, set free. And to truly love not just Jesus, Uh, but all those around you. Not to use them, but to love them. Uh, So my prayer this Easter is that all of us would know not just the truth of Jesus' resurrection, that it actually happened, uh, but its transforming power. uh, That we might delight in his grace and live in love. Let's pray. Uh, Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for this story of our Lord Jesus and his encounter with Mary. We thank you that we can be confident that our Lord Jesus really was raised from the dead in history and that now he's ascended and that he lives and reigns and rules over everyone and everything in heaven at your right hand. We thank you that because he lives, he can pour out his grace on our lives, on sinners like us, on sinners like Mary that we can know what it is to be loved and accepted by you. And we pray that our experience of his grace and love would uh, more more and more uh, transform us uh, to be filled with love towards him and love towards others, uh, particularly uh, in being willing to tell them what we have seen, uh, that our Lord Jesus is uh, raised from the dead. In his name we pray. Amen.